listen now to this portion of God's story from the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship born for that port. After paying fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea replied, and it will be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Lisa, and good morning, everyone. I am so excited to be kicking off uh, this new series in the book of Jonah. Uh, we're calling it Second Chances. How many of you could use a second chance? Yeah? I love the idea of second chances. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm so fond of this book and have always wanted to do the book of Jonah. And finally, I have the opportunity to do so. The book of Jonah gives us a, an inside look at the heart of a prophet. And it also gives us... Uh, Insight into the heart of God. And I think that's it's a very important thing for us to take notice of today. Now, in the Old Testament, God would raise up prophets uh, as mouthpieces for his word so that the people would know what he wanted them to know. Sometimes it would be a word of encouragement, sometimes it would be a threat. Get, get in line with the will of God or else. 
Sometimes it was a message just to prepare people for what God was doing in the near future. And so it was really important for people to listen carefully to the prophets if they really wanted to stay in alignment with God. Uh, Today, uh, the Lord frequently uses the Holy Spirit that resides in us. And we can hear his still small voice, and the Holy Spirit will guide us. And frequently when we, we read the word of God, the Spirit will speak through those words and come alive and give us direction and discernment. But I will say that I believe the gifts of prophecy are still alive today. And there are people with those gifts that can speak into our lives in the same way that the prophets did in the Old Testament. So we need to listen very carefully when someone has a word for us from the Lord and use our discernment as to what it is that the Lord might be saying. Now, of course, we know that Jonah is a prophet, and most of us are very familiar with his story. Uh, this is a, a story that we, we often hear as children. It's one of those stories that our parents love to share. If you grow up in Sunday school, you've seen the flannel graphs with the, with the whale or the fish, and you, you've done it. Right? Jonah was called by God to go to a land called Nineveh, a city called Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. And he was called there to basically tell them to get into line or else because they were such a wicked nation. And he doesn't want to go there. He does not want to do it. He can't do it, and so he runs the opposite direction. He runs to a city called Joppa. He boards a ship towards Tarshish. And on his way to Tarshish, the Lord pursues Jonah, whips up an incredible storm. And what we find out is that because of this storm, the sailors are forced to throw Jonah overboard. Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. He's in the belly of this fish for three days where he prays to God. The fish spits Jonah out on dry land. And Jonah realizes that I should probably do what God is calling me to do. (laughs) So he gets up and he goes back to Nineveh. He preaches to the people just as God intended him to do. The people are repentant. They listen to what he says. They repent and they are saved from damnation. It's an incredible story. It really is an incredible story, but one of the challenges of this story is that it assumes a lot of things. It assumes first that we know who Jonah is and about his history. It also assumes that we understand the political climate of the day, what's happening in the context of this story, when it was written, etc. But what we need to know is that 2,800 years have passed since then. So it's possible that we need a little refresher on some of the things that were happening back then. See, in the time of Jonah, King Solomon had died. Remember King Solomon? Solomon was the son of David. And Solomon reigned in the season when Israel was really in its heyday. It had expansive territories, unlimited wealth, uh, incredible power. Things were going well for Israel. But after Solomon died... Israel fell into this state of chaos, and it divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom uh, consisted of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and they called themselves Judah. 
And then the northern tribe consisted of the other ten tribes, and they were under the leadership of a king called Jeroboam. Jeroboam was not a God-fearing man, and he led Israel into a place of uh, lostness, for lack of a better word. They were, they were really uh, fallen. And that's where Jonah lived. In fact, Jonah lived there uh, doing his work as a prophet under the leadership of Jeroboam II, who was actually the grandson of the first Jeroboam. So two generations had passed. And during that time, uh, because of the instability, surrounding nations had attacked Israel, and Israel had lost part of its land to raiders from other countries. And Jonah had prophesied in this time that Jeroboam II would successfully recapture that land and expand the borders of Israel. And what happened was exactly what Jonah had prophesied. Jeroboam, through military campaigns, was able to recapture the land that was lost, and that was really his claim to fame. But when that happened, it elevated Jonah to celebrity status. Everyone knew who Jonah was in Israel. He had a seat at the highest level of government. He had influence over political and uh, socioeconomic decisions that were being made. And really, life was good for Jonah. It really couldn't have been much better. Now, right to the north of the northern kingdom was this country, this nation called Assyria. And Assyria at the time was really the superpower at the time. And they were known for being an incredibly evil and wicked land. Their king was incredibly bloodthirsty. And when they did military uh, campaigns, they took no prisoners. In fact, they went out of their way to inflict as much pain and suffering as possible. In fact, I was doing a lot of reading about some of the campaigns that took place during this time. And they were so horrific in the things that they would do to their prisoners or to the cities or the towns that they would come through. They would, they would kill everyone, including women and children. They would, they would get all the women and children together and they would burn them alive. They were horrific. They brought torture to a new level. And so everyone in Israel hated the Assyrians. Absolutely hated the Assyrians. And the capital of Assyria is a city called Nineveh. And that is where God is calling Jonah to go and minister. So you have a little more understanding now as to why Jonah did not want to go. Right? He did not want to go there. In fact, the prophet Nahum describes Nineveh in his writings. And he says, Nahum, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, and never without victims. That's how he describes Nineveh. When some of you moved to New York City, your parents thought of New York City in that same way, right? (laughs) Right? I remember in 1997, I moved to New York I got settled into my apartment. I called my dad and I said, Dad, so when are you going to come and visit me, you know, here in the city? And he said, Son, 
I was in New York in 1967. Why would I want to go there again? <laughs> and I said, Dad, you know, the city has changed a lot since 1967. You know, and New York has. I mean, we've seen a renaissance here. I mean, so many things have happened in New York since, since the days when New York was really struggling. But even on its worst day, even at the very worst, New York paled in comparison to what Nineveh was, was, was dealing with in this time. The debauchery, the wickedness, the cruelty, the poor government. I mean, it was a terrible situation and nobody would want to go there. Nobody would want to go there, and neither did Jonah. When we get into the story of Jonah, what's interesting is that Jonah, well, it doesn't tell us much about Jonah. We don't learn very much about Jonah, the person, and I think there are a couple of reasons for that. First, God is not too concerned with who we are. Not as concerned with who we are, certainly, as the kind of person we are. You see the difference? So really, this story is looking at the life of Jonah, and it's describing the kind of person that he is and the kind of person that he's becoming through his experiences. The book of Jonah is not designed to be a biography of this incredible prophet that has done incredible things, and he did. I mean, can you imagine to have this on your resume? going into the most wicked of cities, a huge city filled with wickedness and crime and a king that is so bloodthirsty, preaching to them and convincing them that your God is the God of the universe and having them respond to that call and all of them repent and all of them are saved. It's an incredible story, but really that story is in the background of the story that we're really looking at that is really being described here in the book of Jonah. What we find in this story is the heart of God, his love for the lost, his heart for Jonah, his servant. And we get to see Jonah's heart and the brokenness that he's experiencing even as a minister of the gospel or the good news, the gospel hadn't quite come yet. So, when you look at this book, you should expect to experience a couple things. And we're going to be looking at this over the next four weeks. So we're going to have some time to go into this a little more deeply. But one of the things that you should see is you should expect to see yourself in Jonah. It's written in a way that it will help you to look at yourself and consider the condition of your own heart. Okay? Another thing that you should expect is you should be disturbed by God's passion for the lost. And when I say disturbed, I'll get into that a little bit later. And number three, you should expect to be surprised how much, for God, care, how much God cares for his servants. That means you and I. When God calls us to do something, he cares deeply for us. Not just the mission that he's given us, but deeply for us. So when God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, God disrupts his life. Remember when I told you Jonah was in this sweet spot. He's in a country that he loves. He's surrounded by people that he loves. He has had an incredibly successful ministry. He's loved by the people. 
Things are going really well, and there's really, you know, this is in perfect alignment with his vision for his life. He's quite happy staying right where he is, and yet God calls him to leave all of that and go to this place that nobody would want to go. Nobody would want to go. And what it reveals when God calls him to do this is the condition of Jonah's heart. Jonah has this vehement hate for the Assyrians. He hates them. It's quite possible that Jonah had lost friends and families uh, that, he, that he knew and loved because of the military campaigns of the Assyrians. It's possible that friends of his were tortured, and he heard about that. And now God is calling him to go and minister to these people? Jonah's not willing to do it. He can't do it, and he won't do it, and so he runs the opposite direction. What Jonah wants is for God to wipe the Assyrians off the face of the earth. As far as Jonah's concerned, that's the best possible thing that could happen. So what that reveals is that Jonah, even as a prophet, even as a minister of God, cares so little about these people that he would rather have them wiped off the face of the earth than for them to come into a saving understanding of God. Okay? So there's a conflict within his heart. Have you ever felt that way about a person or a people group? Have you ever, maybe, maybe it's not to that extent, but maybe when you hear people talking about a particular people group or a person that has harmed you or hurt you in the past, and really, you can't imagine anything better than for bad things to happen to that person or to that people group, right? I think we've all been there. But here's the thing, when we're judgmental like that, and we all, we all do this. Um, when we're judgmental, we're only thinking of ourselves and our own well-being. And, and what it reveals is that we've lost sight of all the grace and mercy that God has extended to us. The grace and mercy. None of us would be here today if it weren't for incredible mercy and grace on the part of God. How many times have you said the word, Lord, please forgive me? I say those words every day. Sometimes multiple times a day, and God always does. The expectation is that he will, and he does. All of us have fallen out of alignment at times with God, and he gently restores us. Because he wants us to play a part in his redemptive plan. I talked about that last week. Now, what made it even more difficult for Jonah, of course, was the fact that he was so comfortable where he was. So well-respected. He was in a, a ministry that he really enjoyed. You can kind of think of it this way. Maybe, maybe you're in this job a career that you've been working hard on, that you've been developing, and it's really going great. You're finally at that place where you've always dreamed you would be. And suddenly, you're being called to something different, and you don't really want to go. 
See, our culture says that we should have dreams, that we should develop a vision for ourselves. And in the midst of that vision, we should make sure that we save as much money, that we accumulate as much as we possibly can, that we create a sense of stability for ourselves so that if anything comes our way, we're good. We've got this, right? But all of that is kind of an illusion because any of that can be taken away from us at any moment. God can always enter into our life and disrupt our plans, and if he doesn't enter in, something else will, right? Our plans will always be disrupted. And when God disturbed Jonah's plans, we realized that his heart wasn't really in the place that we'd hoped it would be or that he hoped it would be. So Jonah runs. He goes in the opposite direction that God calls him to. To Joppa, boards the ship to Tarsus. And he's running away from God. And what's interesting about this is he's a... He's a prophet, so he knows that he can't really run away from God, right? He knows that wherever he goes, God is there. So what he's actually running away from is not so much God as it is the calling that God has placed on his life. Did you know that we can fall into that same pattern? We can love God and still run away from our calling. That's what Jonah's doing right here. And God goes after him. God doesn't let him run away from his calling. Which is another indicator that God cares deeply about his servants. God easily could have said, you know what? You don't want to do it, Jonah? It's fine. I can raise somebody else up. But instead, God pursues Jonah. He pursues Jonah. So he gets on this ship. He's on his way to Tarshish. He goes down below the deck. He starts sleeping, takes a nap, and this incredible storm whips up. God whips up this incredible storm. And when he whips up this storm, I love how how this plays out because the sailors on this ship recognize that there's something about this storm that is very unusual, and so they start freaking out. They gather everybody together. They insist that everybody pray to their gods. So everybody's praying to their gods that this storm would die down or that something would be revealed so that they might be spared and nothing is happening to calm this storm down. They recognize that it's supernatural in nature. And then they start to discern that someone has to be responsible for this. Remember, they start casting lots. Nobody's fessing up, so they start casting lots, and they discover that it was Jonah. It was Jonah. So they ask Jonah who he is, what he's running from, what, what did he do to bring this incredible calamity upon them? Okay, where are you from? Who is your God? What did you do? And Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the God of heaven and the God who made the earth and the God who made the sea. Basically, what Jonah is saying is, 
you all pray to your gods, but I worship the God of the universe. I worship the God. And when he says this with the kind of authority that he does, all of the sailors are terrified. It says they're terrified. Because they realize that if he's the God of the sea, and this guy has done something to make that God angry, we're all in trouble, right? So they ask Jonah, well, what do we do? What do we do? The storm gets worse, and Jonah says, if you want this storm to calm down, you need to throw me overboard. You need to throw me overboard. And, of course, the sailors can't bring themselves to do that. And so instead, they, they, they just start rowing as hard as they possibly can toward, toward land. They realize the storm's getting even worse. They can't make it to land. And so they shift gears and they start praying to Jonah's God. They pray to Jonah's God, the God of the universe. They ask him not to hold them accountable for, for taking this man's life. And then they throw him overboard. And immediately, the sea becomes calm. The sea becomes calm. Can you imagine how this impacted these sailors? I love this because God is pursuing Jonah, but while he's pursuing Jonah, he has the opportunity to save a bunch of sailors. Okay? We see earlier in verse 5, the sailors are praying to their gods. Suddenly they witness how the God of the universe, Jonah's God, deals with Jonah and the situation, the, sto- the sea is calm. And at the end of the verses, we see that all these sailors are praying to God, worshiping God, offering sacrifices to God. Imagine the stories that they would have told when they got home. My guess is that the story doesn't, doesn't really end here. I, I'm guessing that when they got to Tarshish, there was a revival that took place there because of some of these stories. And of course, God wasn't done with Jonah either. He gets thrown overboard, but that's not the end of the story. Some of you know how the story goes, but I'm going to leave that for next week. But it gets better. The story just keeps getting better and better as we go. But what I want you to know is that Jonah came very close to missing out on his calling. And we can come close to missing out on our calling too. He missed out, or almost missed out, because of the hardness of his heart. And because he was holding too closely to the vision that he had for his own life. And we can struggle with both of those things. Our heart can get hard because of things that happen to us. Or because things don't go the way that we'd hoped they would. And we can hold too tightly to the vision that we have for our lives. But here's the good news. Just like Jonah, 
God is not willing to leave us in that place. He will pursue us in the same way that he pursued Jonah. Because he wants us to experience a God-centered life. He wants to live our lives, he wants us to live our lives to the fullest. And so the question then is, well, how do we cultivate a God-centered life? How do we put ourselves in a position so that we're in alignment with God and that we don't miss the calling of God, that our hearts don't become so hardened that we miss it? First of all, we have to remember that anything that God calls us to, even if it is completely outside the scope of what we envisioned for our lives, is going to be better than anything that we could come up with ourselves, right? We need to know that. So, how do we start developing a cultivated or cultivate a God-centered life? First, we need to start with a finely, finely tuned ears that are always listening to the call of God. No matter what we're doing or what we're up to or what God has us doing in the present, we need to be listening for what God has for us next. Because God can enter in and move us at any time. And we need to be ready for that. Okay? If we have faith that what God has is going to be the best thing for us and for the advancements of his kingdom, it will help us to cultivate a heart of obedience. And that's what God wants us to do. Second, we need to recognize that what we're doing right now is only for a time. What we're doing right now is only for a time, even if we love it. Even if God has placed us exactly where we are in this season, it's only for a season. Jonah got into trouble because he was, he was holding too tightly to where God had him. And he wasn't ready to go where God was wanting to take him. Too much comfort, too much stability. And God was saying, forget about that. I have something better for you. And he couldn't do it. Everything that God gives us is meant for his glory. And if we keep that in mind, we'll be more equipped, better suited to move when God calls. And everything that we have here is going to be gone. And so the only thing that really matters is that we're in alignment with what God has for us. That's the most important thing we can do. James says, what is your life? You are like a mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone. Number three. If we want to cultivate a God-centered life, we must always keep our dreams on the altar of God. We must always keep our dreams on the altar of God. We all have hopes and dreams, don't we? We all have hopes and dreams. But as I said earlier, God can step in at any time and disturb our dreams. He can give us a completely new calling. And when he does, when he steps in and he calls us to something new, that will be a defining moment for us. Because it will reveal the condition of our heart right then and there. Will we be willing 
to take that step of faith and go with God? Or are we going to be like Jonah and run the opposite direction? Number four, practice making yourself available to God. Practice making yourself available to God. The more comfortable we are, the more difficult this will be. Because when you're comfortable, you don't really feel like you need God's guidance or wisdom or direction that much. You know, it's usually when the challenges come that we start to call on the Lord, that we start to seek the Lord for guidance. And so we need to, even when things are going great, practice, practice making ourselves available to the Lord. We need to trust his plans. You know, some commentators suggest that the book of Jonah was written by Jonah much later in his life. That he wrote this book looking back on his life and the faithfulness that God had shown him. And in his wisdom and his understanding, looking back in hindsight, he recognizes that he missed a lot of opportunities. That he missed some of God's best because he wasn't always in perfect alignment with the Lord even though he was doing a successful ministry and doing the work of God. He didn't want us to know about the remarkable works that he did. He wanted to be transparent about his brokenness. He wanted us to recognize that, look, look, folks, you know, God gave me this incredible opportunity. And my heart wasn't in the right place to respond to his call. In fact, as I look at my life, much of my life in ministry was kind of like that. I was doing the work of God, but I really wasn't in synchronicity with him. Don't make the same mistake that I did. He also shows that God was so loving and so gentle and so faithful to him, even when he ran. And so loving and caring of even the most heinous of people. You couldn't imagine a more broken and backward culture than that of Nineveh. And yet God still loved them. God still extends hope and the possibility for redemption to them. And he uses a broken person to enter in and make all the difference there. So this is what I think Jonah wants for you to think about. Even if you're running now, or if you've run most of your life, we serve a God of second chances. And God's not done with you yet. And he's welcoming you to stop running, do an inventory of his faithfulness to you, and embrace what he has for you. Because what you've done thus far doesn't really matter as much as where you're going to go with God. And he has a bright future for you. He will never give up on you. He loves you. 
He's pursuing you. And he wants you to know there are second chances for you. So don't be discouraged. Okay? Pray with me. Lord, we lay our desire for glory down this morning. We don't want it to be about us. We confess that we're often more concerned about our own comfort and pleasure and greatness than your magnificence, than your honor, than your holiness. And Lord, we pray that you would bind the enemy through the power of your spirit. We ask that you would keep him from distracting us from your call on our lives, Lord. We ask that you would keep him from tempting us to seek our own glory as opposed to your glory, Lord. We cast out all of his lies, and we ask that you would replace those lies with your truth and your love for us. We thank you for the example of Jonah and the transparency that he shows, Lord, in his brokenness. We thank you that that book reveals your heart for the lost and your heart for us, Lord. Give us ears to hear your voice, obedient hearts that long to run hard after you, and bring us into alignment with you, Lord, even if we've fallen short in the past. We love you, Lord. We recognize that you are the God of second chances. In Jesus' name, amen. There it is today. <laughs> I want to come to the table now and one of the beauties about every story in the Bible, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, it always comes back to the heart of God for you and me and his desire to redeem us to love us, to nurture us, to direct us, to bring us into community with him. And really, that's the, the message of communion or coming to the table. When Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take it and eat. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out as a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And they took it and drank. And here at Trinity today, all these years later, we're still doing that same thing. And the idea behind it is that when we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, we are remembering all that Christ has done to make it possible for us to fulfill the calling that he's placed on our lives. Even if there is a history of brokenness or lostness or if we need a lot of second chances. He's extending those to us today. And so when we come, it's really a celebration of God's faithfulness. And so at Trinity, we have four stations where we can do this, two in the front and two in the back. And what I would encourage you to do is come not by yourself, but with others 
so that you can share this experience with them. Get to know them. Encourage them to start running hard after God and to look to the incredible vision that he has for your life. Come when you're ready. Thank you.